Well, hello and welcome to Voices of District 303, a periodic podcast to celebrate the people and programs of St. Charles, Illinois Community Unit School District 303. I'm Dr. Jason Pearson, and I have the honor of serving as Superintendent of Schools, and today I will be your host. Well, I'd like to begin our program today by giving our guests the opportunity to introduce yourself. So as we get started, if you could uh, share with us your name and your role here in our district. Hi, I'm Becky Jordahl. I am currently teaching second grade at Munhall, but will be returning to my usual role as reading specialist next year. My name is Megan Martin, and I'm the lead speech language pathologist for the district. And my name is Karen Pratt. I'm the Instructional Interventions Coordinator in the district and lead school psychologist. Great. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time out at the end of what is a busy school day uh, for everyone. I know that as we get ready to kind of wrap up the school year, there's a lot going on in our buildings, and I just appreciate you taking the time. Um, we have three different specialists that work with students um, in our district in particular, and Becky, you kind of alluded to the fact that this year our reading specialists stepped back into the classroom to help with some of our class sizes due to the pandemic, but during a normal school year. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what a reading specialist does? What's that role in D303? I kind of look at it as three different really important roles. Um, first of all, we work with um, some of our most striving readers, the students that we kind of um, say fall into that tier three group, um, that they need explicit small group intervention. Um, so I am providing tier three interventions for um, struggling readers. Um, another big part of my job is to be supporting teachers. So supporting them with what tier one uh, reading instruction looks like. A lot of times that looks like me coaching a little bit or doing some consulting, modeling, showing them strategies, um, especially with uh, new resources being implemented, um, providing support with kind of helping them do that. And then another big piece is uh, all reading specialists are a part of their building leadership team. And this is important because we look at school systems as a whole. Where, where is our work? What when, when we look at school-wide data, what decisions are we going to make for what we're gonna um, create our school improvement plans around. And then often um, reading specialists are the ones helping create some of that professional development for staff and uh, providing that learning for the staff as well. So Becky, when we talk about reading in particular, you know, there are several different kinds of components or building blocks of the reading process. When you're working with teachers um, in their professional learning communities, how do, first of all, what are those components or building blocks? And then how do you go about supporting um, classroom teachers in their kind of core reading instruction in those areas? When we kind of think about those five pillars of reading instruction, we're thinking about phonemic awareness, phonics, vocabulary, fluency, and comprehension. So all of that, you know, sounds really neat and clean, but when you think about readers, we're, we're using all different parts of our brain to be um, kind of you working in all of those areas. So I think, um, especially when I'm working with teachers or supporting that work, we kind of really have to drill down and use data to decide okay, what is the biggest need right now for this class? Or, you know, we need to have instruction in all of those pieces every day. What is that going to look like? How can we do this um, the most fluidly? But then also making sure that we have explicit instruction and explicit modeling and then opportunities for kids to practice 
uh, alongside the teacher and then also having opportunities for independent practice. So Megan, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the work that our teachers do in classrooms as they help students learn to read. Our teachers in D303 are amazing. It's a common misconception that children learn to read the same way that we learn language. So we learn language by being immersed in an environment. We listen and we hear and we observe and we begin to pick up oral language. Learning to read is completely different. Written language was invented by man and our teachers are actually rewiring brains by teaching students the code. Well, Megan, you mentioned that you're the lead speech and language pathologist or lead speech pathologist in our district. So what does a, a speech pathologist do in a school setting and how is it connected to reading? So a common understanding is that a speech language pathologist works on articulation skills like the R sound or the S sound or fluency, like stuttering, like behaviors. And that's true, we do do that, but really speech language pathologists are specialists in oral and written language, the speaking and the listening. And the language centers of our brain that, like the speech and language centers of our brain that are responsible for speaking and listening are also responsible for, for the written aspects, language is language. Well, and Karen, you are um, a lead school psychologist for our district. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and how um, you support learning? And then also, um, as we're talking about today, uh, reading in our schools. Sure. So school psychologists really have three main roles in schools. Um, first, we support and deliver um, interventions for school-based mental health. Um, so students who might be struggling with um, anxiety or depression or um, behaviors or those sorts of things, we, are, we, we support those interventions for students. Um, we also work in a system called multi-tiered systems of support. And that looks at how do we provide students with um, academic interventions or behavioral or, or social, and emo social and emotional interventions in the areas that they might be struggling. Um, and how do we get those services to students early and preventatively so that um, we're able to meet the needs right away. Um, last, we have a really classic role within special education. So we do evaluations and data collection for students to either enter or exit special education services. Um, so we really kind of overall work with data. We work with student performance. And then, you know, now if we have data information on where a student is performing, how do we plan for students to reach their, you know, most optimal outcomes in our schools? as we know in education, we're all kind of working together, right? Classroom teachers, our specialists, um, we're working across disciplines and across areas of expertise. Karen, I know you and Megan had, have worked uh, together at Davis. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about the kind of how your two roles um, intersect or, or how they came together in your work at Davis and what you kind of learned about how you can support um, school-based teams as they work on, on some of these issues? I think this is one of the huge strengths of our district is that within all of our schools, we have teams called student services teams. And these are the teams that make up the specialist level positions in the district to really support students um, in any way that they can. Um, so that team of specialists works with individual teachers or groups of teachers um, just to really plan and support all students. And that's really where Megan and I met and the collaboration really began was on that team at Davis. We also had offices right next to each other. So even just that kind of collegial in the hallway, you know, kind of during lunch sorts of things, we were able to connect and kind of build um, our common understanding of how we support students. And really within our phonics work on the student services team, we would problem solve for students who were having some difficulty gaining 
early literacy skills. Um, as you know, Davis is K through two. And kind of week after week through kind of the years, we would start to see, um, you know, students who could comprehend what they were reading. They could understand it, um, but really had difficulty breaking apart the words and reading the words correctly. And so as we kind of saw this pattern over time, Megan and I started to think about, you know, how are we working with teachers and with teams to prevent some of these difficulties within students? You know, we would work, of course, at that individual student level, but then as we started to see it more and more, we wanted to grow that, um, again, to be preventative and make sure that, you know, all students um, got what they needed in the area of reading. Megan, did you have anything to add to that kind of partnership? So it's been nice that Karen and I have been able to come together later in our career and uh, work together to help with um, develop systems of change for um, early literacy within the district. And that includes our, our work on the phonics CDT. You kind of mentioned that you start to notice this with some students and then you begin to, to translate that into ensuring that all students are getting the support that they need. And I know that one of the kind of arms of your work is designing and supporting professional learning uh, for teachers across the district. I know you've developed several classes for educators to support their work. Um, what are some of the courses that you've offered and what can you talk a little bit about those? My love of literacy started early in my career uh, when I took a strong interest in phonemic awareness. So two years ago, um, I proposed a course called Know Your Foe. Um, and it's a course that I developed with another SLP, Monica Glore, and an instructional support coach, Megan Madigan, where we really wanted school-based teams to come together and focus on the research um, evidence related to phonemic awareness and to advanced levels and how it, is, it plays a non-negotiable role in literacy. Another course we've offered through the district uh, was a word study course, um, just kind of encompassing K-5, providing a way for teachers that felt like they had room to grow and to deepen their understanding of what phonics instruction looks like and also that word study piece. Um, and that first started out as a one credit class and we realized we definitely needed 30 hours, uh, two credit class. So that class has run um, gosh, I've helped facilitate it three times, but I think it ran two times before I helped facilitate um, where we really were um, showing teachers how to, you know, what was the importance of teaching phonics, um, why that was important, what that looks like, and then how do we design instruction that makes sure we are hitting those um, those skills explicitly um, and throughout the school day. We know that you know across our day, word study exists, no matter what the content area is, providing opportunities for teachers to kind of see what that looks like, the planning piece of that, and then also giving them time to try to start um, weaving that through and also using data to determine what um, instruction, where instruction should start for the entire class or that tier one group. We talk about tier one being that 80% um, of your students, your instruction is, um, meeting their needs and then tier two being more uh, 15 to 20% of that population and then tier three being that maybe 5%. So we're looking at core whole group tier one instruction. What do we need for the whole group? And then also determining for smaller groups, um, extra support too. And then kind of to build on um, those tiers and, and assessment, we do have a new course starting this summer that Megan and I are running um, regarding progress monitoring and how do we measure student growth and literacy. And so if you kind of put all of these components together, you get a really solid base for um, early literacy instruction. So Megan has kind of that, um, you know, sound symbol correspondence and the brain research behind her course. And then Becky's is about, you know, how do teachers apply that in the classroom? And then our new one will be about then how do you measure that and how do you know that students are learning what you're teaching? 
Well, and I know that there are so many adults that are supporting student learning in our schools. It's not just specialists or teachers. We also have some assistants that um, work with students, especially one-on-one -on -one to help support their learning. And um, I know that you have a class on sound production uh, for assistants. Can you talk a little bit about uh, why that was an important course to offer and kind of how sound production affects students and how they spell? That's one of my, my missions that I want um, all educators in D303 to have accurate sound production because it's really important that all students understand how sounds are produced because it really impacts their spelling. So there are some sounds that we can drag out like mmm and we don't want to teach them that it's ma because then when they go to spell they're going to spell mu instead of just that consonant m. And so we have so many different staff members that interact with our, our students in D303 that it's important that everyone is using some of that same vocabulary and understands how we produce sounds and how to teach those sounds. Well, I know we've spent a lot of time talking a little bit about early literacy and, and supporting students with reading, uh, particularly the elementary level. Karen, I know you also work in the high school setting. Can you talk a little bit about how we take some of these same principles, these foundation, the science of reading principles, and apply them to our work with maybe older students in the district? Well, I began working at the high school as a school psychologist and really had to think about you know, the way that I assess reading as a psychologist, is it different for our older students? And we talked a little bit about Megan and my work at Davis with our younger students. And so I really spent some time trying to think about for our older students, you know, what do we do? And I really found that it isn't different. Um, the, the skills and the way that the brain learns to read are the same, regardless of how old the person is. Um, so that, you know, starts with our very young learners and continues through high school. And if a student is having difficulty, it, it kind of falls in some certain areas that are the same um, across students. And that pathway and the way that the brain learns to read is also similar for, for all students. So students um, from diverse backgrounds, students who might have um, other disabilities, um, all sorts of things. So really, regardless of the factors that the student brings to our setting, the way that students learn to read is exactly the same. We were able to apply some of these skills um, and some of these ideas with our high schoolers to really support their learning as well. You know, we've talked a little bit about phonics and phonemic awareness, but there's also, you hear talk about decoding and decoding skills and, and the role that that plays um, with reading. How, can you talk a little bit about what decoding is and why it's important um, and how it relates maybe to phonemic awareness? When we keep saying those words, phonemic awareness, we're really talking about um, the sounds um, and the, the parts of words that, um, and I always like to explain it, that you, you could practice phonemic awareness in the dark, right? Because it's just hearing the sounds and producing those sounds and not associating it with any letters yet. When we associate that phoneme or sound to the grapheme or letter, now that's phonics. Those pieces of being able to manipulate and hear that the word bear starts with the beginning sound, b is important to be a reader, to be able to just hear um, that the words care and share rhyme to hear those word parts at the end are the same. So with our earliest, earliest learners, we have to start there. Um, and then as they uh, start kindergarten, we are associating those letters with the sounds and beginning phonics work. And if once we start learning that this letter that we form um, is the letter B, and that makes the b sound. Now I, that I'm teaching phonics. And now when you have those pieces, now we're blending those sounds together. Now I can blend without looking at the letters and that would be phonemic awareness. Let's blend the sound, these three sounds together. B, a, t, 
and we blend it and that makes the word bat. But once I start doing it on paper or on a dry erase board and forming those letters, that's phonics. I'm showing b at and building that word. Now decoding is when we see those three letters together, B-A-T, and we know how to produce each of those sounds and to read that word as bat. That's what decoding is, is being able, so you have to understand phonics is, and phonemic awareness obviously are the um, kind of the umbrellas of where decoding um, falls. Encoding is then writing or producing that. So that's the, the writing, the B-A-T. Um, and I don't know if Karen or Megan, you wanna to add to that um, and explain it different way. Yeah, something that just comes to mind is that the secondary application. So if we have bat, um, as students get older, you know, now we want to think about different words like battle um, or compound words like Batman. Um, you know, so now we recognize B-A-T in larger words and, you know, how those word parts go together and how I decode the parts of words impacts how I understand the words. Um, so understanding vocabulary comes straight out of knowing those sounds and those word parts. So then when I make meaning and think about vocabulary words, I'm able to do that proficiently as well. So I know in our district, we often have students coming to kindergarten already, um, having already acquired some reading skills. And you talked a little bit about this, Becky, but um, as we think about kindergartners coming in and maybe they're reading, um, what are some of the things that our staff then need to start to do with them to kind of help them continue their, their growth in reading? And what, what are the things that we're looking at? So are, are we assessing, um, you know, to figure out where they are and what are we looking at? And then how, how do we go about then helping them progress in their, in their reading? We are so fortunate we have um, a community that is supporting our readers even before they walk through our doors. And what we know is when we have those kids coming to us, we know they have a family um, reading to them probably daily, um, and they have print in front of them, they have opportunities to practice that. We also know that those kids, and there's a lot of research and study that supports that kids that are read to every day from the time they are zero to five, they are exposed to um, millions, I don't know the exact number, I'd have to look at a, one of those research reports, but millions more words. So they have a very large sight word vocabulary before they even get to us. So when they come in the doors in kindergarten and we have these fluent readers, it is such a celebration and exciting to see because we can start then breaking it down and seeing, is it just that they've seen this word in print so many times, their brain has memorized or learned that uh, this, every time I see these letters together, that's the word elephant, right? But then we also do assessments where we're having them um, decode or sound out pretend words or what we call nonsense words to see if, is it that they have such a strong sight word vocabulary? They've been exposed to so many books and so many words. They've just memorized it. Not, not, well, your brain is kind of creating that map. Um, or then when we give them words like BEP, which is not a real word, but we want to see if they can put those sounds together to decode, we can really determine, do we have a student that has high sight word vocabulary and high decoding skills? Or is it just that they've been exposed to words like bat and cat and dog that um, they're not actually decoding, they've just memorized that group of words together. So um, once we kind of determine that, we can uh, uh, decide next steps because we want to make sure that even the readers that come in reading well above what we would 
expect of them as a five-year-old, we want to make sure we still provide that explicit instruction in phonics because when they come to, like Karen was talking to, talking about those multisyllabic words where, and a word they've never seen before, we want them to have that code or that um, ability to be able to decode words they haven't seen in print before. And research has shown that when you have like a strong tier one that's teaching that explicit phoneme, grapheme, sound, symbol correspondence, that it will elevate the, the kiddos in the classroom that need that instruction, but as well as those um, higher level readers, everyone gets, gets raised up. And, you know, we have students who come in reading and that's awesome. Um, but the instruction also helps support develop uh, support and develop writers. Our encoding skills or how we write lag a little bit behind our decoding skills. So we, we read the words first, we decode the words first, and then we're able to write them. So even if students are coming in already with, you know, with solid sound symbol correspondence, we also want to continue to provide practice so that they're able to be proficient writers. And I always like to think of that writing, that encoding, the spelling as the gateway, because then we know what our learners really know, and we know if our instruction has stuck. And then that also tells us where we need to intervene. Karen, I understand you have an example for us of, of how 100 students and, and of 100 students and how they'll learn to read. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So when we think about, you know, our kindergartners coming to us, um, if we think about 100 students or 100 percent of our students, um, the research shows us that in terms of learning to read, they'll fit into a few different categories. Um, the first group of kids, it's about um, 30 to 40%, um, will learn to read no matter what. So if they have exposure, if they have um, you know, an environment that provides them with access to print, um, they're gonna learn to read. Um, and that's, that's excellent for, for teachers because then we can of course expand upon that. Um, we then know, know that the next group of kids um, again, about 30 to 40% is going to need some really solid instruction in their classroom in order to pick up and be proficient with reading and decoding skills. Um, and so with our phonics CDT work, um, that's really the group of students who we're really thinking about. Um, how do we ensure that, you know, the vast majority of our students, um, whether they come to us reading or not, you know, develop these skills to a high proficiency level. Um, our next group of students is a little bit smaller. Um, but about 15%, and they're going to need some pretty intensive intervention in order to learn to read. Um, so we know that students um, may or may not have a diagnosis of dyslexia when they enter school, um, or they might have other word reading difficulties. Um, and, and so students with those needs or students in special education might just need some in additional instruction in order to read. Um, we know there's also a very small percentage, about 5% of students um, who who will struggle to learn to read. Um, but even you know, if they are going to be struggling readers, we still want to make sure that we're building them to be as proficient as possible because we know that um, certain levels of literacy, so specifically being able to read at a sixth grade level is really, really important for, um, for work and for jobs and, and accessing community resources. Um, also a second grade level, if we can get students to a second grade reading level, um, there, there's a lot of self sufficiency and kind of independent um, activities that they can engage in at that reading level as well. Um, so we want to kind of think about all of those learners with our CDT work so that we're, again, kind of maximizing the outcomes for all students in D303. In our district, of course, we see ourselves as partners with parents as we think about supporting students in their learning. And I, I know that many of our parents 
um, would be interested in knowing if you have recommendations of maybe resources that they might want to look at or, or books that they could read that would help them understand how to support their own children with, with reading. Well, I certainly, um, to any parent that asks me, um, I just really think it's important that we continue to read with our kids, read with our kids not send them to their room to read because that's when we get that negative connotation to now I have to go read, especially the kids that don't like it. Right. So kids are never too old to read to. Um, so it's important that we are providing those opportunities to make it fun and enjoyable. So this summer read with your kids, find uh, ways to make that engaging, pick books at their reading level, pick books above their reading level, take turns page by page. Um, my daughter, who's in seventh grade, we still read books together and then have conversations about that. And sometimes we're reading it out loud together. Sometimes we're, we decide to read a chapter by ourselves and come back and talk about that. We just need to make sure we're providing opportunities for kids to read and that it's fun and it's not something I have to do. So finding those, um, get to your public library um, or find a way, you know, there's so many online resources, find what hooks them, what gets them excited and read with them. Um, I think that's that's some of the best advice I could give any parent. And like I said, never, never too old to stop that. And I think when you're reading, um, you can point out patterns like, oh, I see that S at the end of cats. That means more than one. Or look, we see, you know, this ED at the end of this word. That means that that action already happened. Or what do you think that word means? And you can use that platform of the book to build their oral language and their vocabulary. And then in my work on as a psychologist with parents of students with reading disabilities, um, we do get asked this question quite a bit. And so a resource that's really easy for families that we often recommend is a book called Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons. It's available on Amazon. It's, it's relatively inexpensive. And it, it just outlines some lessons for parents that are about 20 minutes per day, just on kind of the phonemic awareness and phonics skills that that we've been talking about today. So that's a great resource just because it's all laid out and it's quick. It uses a lot of the same methods that, that we use in the classroom too. Well, and I know that in our show notes, we can actually reference some of these um, recommendations. So perhaps we'll list that title uh, so that people can refer back to it as, as a possible uh, source. I really appreciate you taking the time today. It's just so fascinating to have this conversation. Um, I, as superintendent of schools, it's exciting for me to just know that we have this expertise in our district and that we're working so hard to understand the needs of our student learners every day. And we're working together collaboratively uh, to ensure ensure that they're getting what they need um, to support their learning. And I, I just really appreciate you again, taking time um, out of your day today to speak with us about this. And if, if parents have additional questions, they are free to reach out, I know, uh, to any of you, but also to their school, uh, because all of our schools in the district have access to these support resources as well. So thank you so much again for joining us this afternoon and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. having us.